allusion to William Castle, whom the Saturday Evening Post calls the master of movie horror. Do you believe in ghosts? I do. And you will, too, when you come to this theater and see my picture, 13 Ghosts. Uh, no more dictation today. When you see 13 Ghosts, you'll be given a supernatural viewer like this, which will enable you to penetrate for the first time into the spirit world. It will let you see all 13 of our weird, wonderful, and wildly assorted ghosts. Now, brace yourself as we take you across the threshold of our haunted mansion, where there's a ghost for everyone in the family. Father, mother, sister, brother. You'll be scared stiff, too, when you see what they see. Thirteen ghosts materializing in ectoplasmic color through the magic of Illusiono, the ghost viewer. The ghost of a lion in the basement. The ghost of a murderous cook in the kitchen. Stop it! Stop it, I say! The ghost who speaks through the lips of the living. Death tonight to one of you. The evil ghost in the bedroom fighting to take possession of this beautiful girl. You'll feel all the thrills and chills of seeing one ghost multiplied by the magic number 13. Welcome to Horror Flicks and Music Mix. We're your hosts. I'm Dustin. And I'm Kevin. On this podcast, we discuss horror films and scores with both fans of the genre and professionals of the music and film industry. Our goal with this podcast is to melt our love of horror with our passion for music, hoping to inspire our listeners to appreciate all elements of the art of film. So this is our very first original versus remake episode where we take, you know, two movies um, that, you know, coincide with, you know, like this case, 13 Ghosts. We look at the original, we look at the remake, and we compare and contrast. We look at the performances, we look at the work of the directors, and we decide which one's shittier. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> which, one, which one, you know, stands up, maybe which one doesn't, which one's better, which one's worse, or are they both equally great, or are they both equally bad? That's what this is all about. And that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, yeah, you just said it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like Kevin said, we're going to be doing 13 Ghosts, 1960, by William Castle, against 13 Ghosts. Or 313-Teen Ghosts. It came out in 2001 by Steve Beck. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to start with the 1961. Yeah, so before we get into this, I I only saw, and I think a lot of people our age saw the remake, the 2001. Oh, yeah. I remember seeing it at Hollywood Video and rented it and watched it, and I was like, this is great. Um, the, especially, you know, the, the look of the ghost. It wasn't really about the story. No one remembered the story. But we never even thought that there was an original. Like, you know, at that age, 12 and 13, we're just like, we just want to oh, see yeah. gore and boobs. That's it. So when... You know, when this came out, I I, uh, I really enjoyed it. And now, this is the first time I've seen the original, just oh. yesterday. So oh. it's very fresh in my mind. I look forward to talking about it. I mean, How yeah, about that, you and the original? Uh, 
that was my second time watching it, honestly, mm. yesterday when we watched it. I I don't even know if I... Yeah, like you said, when the remake came out, I'm like, oh, cool. A spooky movie. Like, I was mm-hmm. like 10 years old or something like that. And had no idea. I don't even think if I knew who William Castle was back then. Probably yeah. not. But I think I just came across this figuring out, oh, yeah, William Castle did House on Haunted Hill, mm-hmm. Vincent Price. I, that's probably what led me to find out about this one. Yeah, but I've only watched it once, like, five or six years ago until we watched it yesterday. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. No. Um. So, why don't you do this lovely spoiler-free short summary for us before we get into it? <laughs> okay. So, when a family, down on their luck... Financially, they get a surprise summons from their recently dead uncle. Plato Zorba is his name. <laughs> and they receive the keys to the late uncle's mansion. A mansion full of ghosts. I think that covers I mean, it. I don't much, know. Yeah, I, that's the gist of it. Yeah, but, so if you, you know, before we get into the summary, if you want to see this movie, I mean, it's it's easy to find. It's on Tubi. Heck, it's probably even on YouTube for free. Yeah, I just um, looked it up. It's on Tubi. YouTube and Tubi and Plex all for free. So Yeah, so might as well give it a shot. And if you get the cool spooky glasses to go with it, even better. But yeah, no trigger warnings for this. It's pretty There's, campy yeah. and, you know, we'll just kind of get right into it. So um, with any William Castle movie where you're not going to look for a, um, a plot that's really, really in depth. He's no Hitchcock. It's more of a... You know, the thrill, the spectacle, and in a lot of cases, the gimmick, which we'll get into when we talk about the director. But yeah, this movie is not one for like, wow, these are very compelling characters. It's more of just the backdrop to what they're experiencing. So, all right, here we go. It starts off with great ambience and ghosts, blood splatter, cackling, screaming, very cool intro. Um, it starts zooming in on the drawings of all the ghosts, numbering one through 13 with the question mark on 13. Ooh, Ooh. cool artwork <laughs> intermixed with screaming. And I really like the orchestral score throughout this movie. That's probably one of the highlights for me is Von Dexter's score. So what do you think about this intro where they're flying at the screen and there's cackling, screaming and it's definitely old school mm-hmm. William Castle. It, it reminds me of the pretty similar to the, House on Haunted Hill yeah. intro with the ooh, ooh yeah ah, just like like old school haunted house style what you would hear on an old cassette or yep. something like that yeah and the drawings are pretty cool I yeah I like that too um and then right after that it goes right to the L A Museum um some natural history in this case a lecturer is discussing dinosaurs and prehistoric animals when he is whisked away by a Mister Van Allen. Um, and the guy that we meet, his name is Cyrus. All these lovely, very normal American names. <laughs> so Cyrus is yeah, giving we'll this get lecture. Into the names. <laughs> yeah, Cyrus is giving this lecture, and then this Van Allen, this his British colleague, says a call is waiting for him from his wife. His wife calls him saying his movers are moving out all of the furniture because they forgot to pay, and they're just like, Oh shucks, well, we're out of money. And we meet their child, Buck. Um, they have a happy birthday gathering where they're all sitting on the floor and he got a cake and a book about ghost stories and he's as happy as can be. 
Buck wishes for a house for his birthday as wind sweeps through and blows out the candles. Cyrus gets a buzz at the door, seeing no one's there until the strange-ass-looking man says, A telegram for you! And he reads it and realizes, oh, it's it's a summons to meet Benjamin Rush, who's an attorney, and he's going to meet him tomorrow morning. Medea, the older sister, looks up the address and tells her dad to go there the next day. So, in, what an intro. Just, these guys are down on their luck. Yeah, and, right to it. Is that when he's like, how much money do we have in the bank? And she, his, the wife says, $2. Oh, $2. Which is like $12 nowadays, $15. Still, it's like, not oh, enough. No, no, no. Yeah. It's like, how, so, yeah, how do you even only have $2 in the bank? Why don't you just have that in your pocket? It's like, do they have a line of credit or something? I don't know. Or is there, a, like, how are they paying the mortgage? And I just so many questions. I'm anyway. Look up how much $2 would worth. <laughs> I, yeah, we can say. Um, so, yeah, they're down on their luck and they get this summons and they think it's going to be a collection agency wanting money or something. Hmm. $2 in 1960 is worth $20.79 oh, today. I mean, still, you know, well, that ain't bad. That ain't bad. If I had 20 bucks on me, no, okay. Um, <laughs> so, Cy and the wife, they go to um, Benjamin Rush with an E, Benjamin. It just like what? A B N J A M E N. The strangest spelling of Benjamin ben I've ever Jamin. seen. Benjamin. Like <laughs> yeah. ramen. Yeah. Um, so they find out they're going to receive this new house and they get an old mansion and they get this box that has a key in it and the address. It is the house of his uncle who gave him the house and supposedly he's been hiding out all of these years and Cyrus is like, I thought he was dead. Benjamin's like, no, he's just been hanging, I guess. Cy is very confused when he finds out there was something in a package left for him in this package. Um, you know, they're going to open it and Benjamin Rush is like, well, here's the thing. He was fooling around with the occult and collecting ghosts. The attorney says, you inherited the ghosts too. They come with the house. Very straight face. And it's yeah. like, oh, ha, what a kidder. And Plato fucking Zorba <laughs> is his name. Cyrus is, <laughs> his interactions with like, oh, that's, wow, ghosts, huh? It's kind of funny throughout. They open the package to see a box and they open it. Wind starts blowing through the window. They see a box of a pair of glasses. <laughs> All of a sudden, they're attacked by a fly on a string. <laughs> <laughs> that is the corniest thing in this whole movie. I'm just like, they didn't need, why did they need to do that? You just see like the, and then it gets on the glasses and it fries the fly. So I guess they're magical in some case. So now, now they have a box. They have this pair of glasses. They have no idea what it's for. But now they're going to a house. So they're excited. So the next day, Benjamin Rush introduces himself to Buck. They go to the old place. They talk about ghosts in the house because now they've just moved into Plato Zorba's mansion. Medea, the older sister, lets Ben Rush in. Um, and you can already tell they're getting smitten with each other. Um, no idea the age difference there, so we're not going to go into it. So they let um, they they come in, and she's like, oh, I was going to let the witch answer the door. And we find out the witch is the housemaid. Ooh, we'll find out more about her later. Oh, yeah. Benjamin Rush keeps talking about how his ghosts were stalking him, a.k.a. stalking Plato Sorba. I can't get over that name. God damn it. Just... Yeah, the, the names of everybody in this family. We got Medea Zorba, Plato Zorba. Buck Zorba, Cyrus Zorba. <laughs> well, see, so yeah. Medea, that's a Greek name. Plato, that's a Greek philosopher. Yeah. Cyrus, that's a Persian, that's the Persian king. Mm. So it's like, 
he just went into a history book and was like, ah, Jesus. this looks good. I, there's, there's no rhyme or reason for it. And then Buck. Then let's put Buck in there. Oh, yeah. We need an American Cyrus, Medea, Hilda, and Buck. Buck. They could have called him like Bartholomew or something. Nah, it's like Buck. Anyway, they open the, uh, oh, wait, sorry, they're back at the house and uh, Benjamin Rush now is coming in. He's like, well, it looks like you guys are moved in. He keeps talking about how the ghosts were stalking Plato and he was collecting these ghosts. Medea says, that's silly. We're not in the Middle Ages. Benjamin Rush says they shouldn't have moved in, yet he's still going through with the plan. Hmm. They're talking about the housekeeper at the dinner table and they keep calling her a witch. Ben is like, I don't think she likes me very much. I'm like, yeah, maybe because you're calling her a witch. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, poor woman. They've, they're hanging out and they find a Ouija board or a Ouija board, but I suppose at least now it's pronounced Ouija. A Luigi board. Ouija, yes. And Cyrus is like, oh, we, oui. French means yes. Yeah, German means yes. A yes, yes board. And a hidden bookshelf. <laughs> they also find that and it, they find this book that's filled with Latin. The dad, Cyrus, tells him how it works and Cy tells Ben to ask questions of the Ouija board. They're like, let's have fun with this. They use the planchette, which is what you use on a Ouija board for some of you who know, some of you don't. And Buck asks, um, Buck asks the question, are there any ghosts in the house? And it goes to yes, of course. Ooh. Hilda, the name of his wife, Medea and Buck ask how many ghosts are in the house. It says 13. Medea asks if the ghosts will hurt them. It says yes. Ooh, spooky. <laughs> the painting of Plato falls down. The planchette floats towards Medea very gingerly. Oh, so what do you think so far of this family and their throes of horror? Ouija board and the... I mean, I wouldn't fuck with a Ouija board. I don't care if mm -hmm. you believe it or not. Like, no thanks. Now, I have an... Ex um, when I was 13, my friends and I got together with a Ouija, ex Ouija experience and it... It freaked me out a little bit because there's some things that I still can't explain to this day. And I'm like, eh, I'm good. I'm, yeah. I'm very yeah. skeptical on so many things. But that was something I was just kind of like, eh. Yeah, I just don't want to be in that situation just to be like, fuck. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I've seen too many horror movies to know what happens. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that night, Hilda and Cyrus are freaking out about the floating planchette. Cy, though, is not worried at all. He's like, oh, it's supernatural mumbo jumbo. Yet he's, I don't know. It's like, he's just whatever. Um, Hilda says she's cold and Cy's like, oh, it's just a draft. He's gonna go check on the children. He goes in to check on his daughter, Medea, seeing she's okay from earlier. And then he thinks Ben's ghost talk has got them worried. So he's like, oh, don't listen to that attorney. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. Sorry, says, of course not. And says it's time to go to bed. We then see our first ghost in the, um, family room while they're, they're yeah, they're all upstairs and they're, you know, getting ready for bed. And this ghost is just hanging out. It's getting hanged. And then the Axeman comes in and chops its head off. Ooh, the effect kind of looks cool. I do like, yeah, what do you think of our first ghost reveal here? Well, it's like, why are you hanging and chopping the head off? You know, just, just to make sure. Just for spooky, <laughs> spooky effects. Yeah. Like, it's, so this movie's in black and white, and I don't think the, the, what is it? Uh... Illusion, Illusiono version is <laughs> able to be watched, but like whenever the ghosts pop up, you're supposed to put on these glasses. We'll get into the glasses, mm -hmm. and I just like I don't know with the black and white version, you could barely see them almost. Right. So you're kind of just like, what's going on? But yeah, I mean, you can see them. I do like the effect that they're barely there, so yeah. you can barely make it out. It just makes it definitely more of a ghost-like feel, and um, 
you know, I uh, I think that first intro, like, okay, so it's like, ooh, spooky ghost. But there are some cooler effects later on that I appreciate that William Castle does good with, and uh, we'll get into that. So yeah, that's our first ghost. Um, and Cyrus is now going down to get a book, and here's <laughs> moaning. Now, I, <laughs> of all the moaning ghosts in this movie, this is the one that's just a bit overtly sexual. And it's <laughs> like, damn, is what some ghosts are getting it on in the closet or something. Because he's going and like checking behind the curtain, checking around into this door. It's bolted shut. You can't get it open yet. It just opens on its own. And then he still hears the sexual ghost moaning and still confused. And we get this really cool piano atmospheric music as he's getting into the secret room where Dr. Plato Zorba, his uncle, kept records. Um, he hears someone whispering 13 over and over and over. He then puts on his glasses. And by the way, when he, when people put on glasses this movie, Dustin, what are we as the audience supposed to do back in the day? So you were given... Given to... What is that freaking thing that's, that is said at the end? Given to... I don't know, the English was bad. Yeah. But <laughs> So when you went and saw this movie, William Castle is all about gimmicks. And this gimmick... You get a ghost viewer, and it's like the old school 3D glasses with the red and blue, but it's not red on one lens and blue on the other that you look through at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like red on top and then blue on the bottom, both like their own separate strips. Yeah. And when the characters in the movie put on the glasses to see the ghost, it prompts you to put on your ghost viewer. And if you look through the red, you could see the ghost. Or if you're too scared, you could look through the blue and not see the ghost. That was the whole thing. Mm -hmm. With the illusional. Illusional. I know. Great name. And but, you know. yeah, obviously that whole thing was taken into account with the remake. And we'll get into that when we get into that. Yes. Yeah. So he's um, he's here in this 13. He puts the glasses on. Um, don't know what compels him to finally do that. But he sees smoke and hears cackling. He sees four ghosts right in a row. A floating head, a ghoul, a skeleton, and a woman. And they're all bursting into flames, screaming in agony. This is actually my favorite effect of the whole thing. It's probably the scariest part of the whole movie. I, I would think so. I would think if people, you know, in 1960 were seeing this, that would be the part that would get most people. Some of the other parts are a little bit like, yeah, all right, that's a bit. Then again, we're looking at this from the amount of movies we've watched. And, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, it's more for the effect. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because there are some other parts that it's just so corny <laughs> i can't take it seriously no not at all so he sees these ghosts and then all of a sudden they turn into this flaming pinwheel and he's they start coming towards him he screams it goes back starts coming towards him he screams he goes back and then it disappears and then he takes the book he actually takes the glasses off and it burns 13 into his hand and he walks away Ooh, there we go the next morning, he goes back to work at the L.A. Natural History Museum, bringing the book to his friend who's supposed to translate the Latin for him. Van, his friend at the museum, finds a paper that discusses how Dr. Plato Zorba can find a way to capture his ghosts and take permanent pictures of the supernatural world, using the glasses to help him. Van says his uncle had penetrated farther into the supernatural than any man in history. It's taken it a bit, you know, extreme. There's probably other guys that did too, but whatever. He captured 11 ghosts, finding a way to control it. He went around the world capturing them using glasses. Talked about how one was captured in Ireland, one was captured in Nepal, and vice versa. Each ghost has a separate section. 
Ghost 12. I, Plato Zorba, am the 12th. I am earthbound for the crimes committed against me. That's what he wrote in his journal. That was Van was saying. And Cyrus then asks, what about uh, this Ghost 13? What's well, left blank? Ooh. Wife calls Cy to come back home. He must not ever work, because every time he gets a call, he's like, well, I'm fucking off. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was that easy. If someone calls me like, well, I'll see you later. Out. <laughs> we see two ghosts in the kitchen. This is amazing. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is where the corniness comes the corn- in. It's, it's, it's so funny. It's, well, so now we see our next batch of ghosts. We get this this couple. They look really cool with the, with their like zombie like outfits, and they're arguing. <laughs> and then a chef ghost comes in with the like most construction papery looking mustache, like very long. He has no face, but you can see his. You can see his giant ass mustache, and it looks like construction it's so paper. It's like if Luigi let his mustache grow out, but then like for ages and never combed it i think it reminds me of the the muppet chef let's see here let me pull up yeah it's like the muppet chef but he's got the with a longer stash yeah (laughs) Yeah. swedish chef for days my swedish relatives are always just like yeah that's what we sound like yeah yeah the wife said, so there, the chef ghost is attacking the woman with a meat cleaver in her head. And then all of a sudden, the wife is like, look what's happening to this kitchen. And Cyrus comes in and everything, there's plates all over the place. Um, they're spilling like spices in the spice cabinet. A can of flour empties itself. And then a milk, a glass of milk's pouring on the floor and breaks. <laughs> Buck comes in and he's like, oh, that's the, that's the, um, what's his name? Emilio. He's upset. And then it throws a meat cleaver at the dad's head, and the kid's like, oh, cool. He's taking this way too lightly for his dad almost getting killed. Um, Buck said the witch told him about all of the ghosts. Maybe she's one of the ghosts herself. Ooh, Sai stares at him with huge eyes. Oh, no. Wow, what a great... I love that. It was just ridiculously silly. Sai and Hilda ask Elaine, the housekeeper, about the house and Dr. Zorba. Elaine... The housekeeper. She worked for Zorba for many years and how she helped him control the ghosts. Sai asks Elaine if he wanted to help Plato Zorba to do something. Elaine talks about how they took all the money out of real estate and turned it into cash, but she's not sure where it is. Elaine says she's unsure what Zorba meant by the crime committed against him. Sai and Elaine walk upstairs where Elaine unlocks the door and shows Zorba's bedroom. Um, she just leaves. So Zorba was dead in bed and Elaine says, she must leave this house. T- you must leave the house tonight. And then she just fucks off. Sai then starts looking around the room, and he, you know, lights the candles, and then they blow out. He hears moaning from the bed, and then they come back on, and he presses a button on the bed after the candle, like, floats and is pointing towards the bed. It's just an awkward scene. It goes on way too long, and, like, it's a floating candle with strings. It's like, sure. And then he opens it, and it says the bed goes down or something, and it comes back up. Cool. By the way, at this point in the movie, I was like, okay, I recognize Elaine, the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. And I kept that in the back of my mind, like, I know her from somewhere. That knows that face has to be. And then at some point, we we're like, wait a minute. I think that's the witch from Wizard of Oz. And lo and behold, Margaret Mitchell, who played the Wicked Witch of the West in Wizard of Oz, is in this movie as the housekeeper Elaine, which is who awesome. they make fun of her for looking like a witch 
which I'm not, like now it's like oh wow yeah very cool it it took me until that part where I was like wait a minute no. well and we were watching the special features afterwards and like this only came out 20 21 years after the wizard of oz mm-hmm. and the wizard of oz wasn't as big of a thing which is crazy like it is now so like in the special features on the interviews that we were reading or watching mm-hmm. they were like wow that joke works way better now than it ever has yeah <clears throat> yeah so so Saya founds this finds the secret bed that goes up and down don't know the significance of that until much later and you know as he's having them met um the bed move up and down we get a bassoon solo i don't know why that i put that in there <laughs> <laughs> so then he's like huh so then he leaves he goes to bed and Medea and ben are, are coming back from a date um still i don't know the age difference is Medea 16 or 25 is ben 22 or 40 i, I don't know Anyway, everyone in the house is sleeping peacefully. Even after everything Cyrus had seen, even after the kitchen, they're all just like, ah, time to get some some sleep. Huh. In the bedroom, um, for the bedroom that he was in, Plato's old bedroom, we see these boots. Mm, these boots are walking towards the door covered in cobwebs. Seems like a ghost to me. Medea turns off her lamp to finally get to sleep, and the boots covered in cobwebs inch closer down the hallway. I thought this scene was kind of cool. You know, just like it was slowly creeping down. And you hear this Medea's bedroom um, door creak, the longest door creak I've ever heard in history. Medea awakens to hearing the shutters and her window opening and closing. She gets to the windows and we see a zombie ghost reach for her. Oh, I thought these were cool. Um, this was a cool makeup effects. and Yeah, but you can tell. It's like, I don't know if that's a real ghost because it's not... Well, yeah, because it's not corporeal. Like, yeah. it's not floating. It's like a real thing. Very cool. Well, that's the next day then. Um, the boy puts on the ghost glasses um, to jovial yet creepy music as everyone's trying to recover from the night before. Dia's still in bed and the mom and dad are downstairs just trying to think, wait, what happened to Medea last night? Oh, And so... the. You know, Buck is schlepping around the house, trying out different doors, goes to the basement, and there, um, he, Buck sees this box, um, this box that a circus lion tamer had, Shadrick the Great. He puts on the hat, opens up the door to find a whip, and starts playing around like he is Shadrick. He sees a cage and says, well, let's open it. He opens it, hears a lion roar, and then we get this five-minute-long scene of this ghost lion. Then it has it has like a um, black cape around its back to look like it's like cut in half. Yeah, but it's obviously you can, uh, yeah you could tell that. Like it's then just have a regular lion that's dead. We don't need the it look like it quote unquote look <laughs> like it's cut in half. Yeah, it's this not... part just went on forever. I mean, I get it. People at this time were like, "Oh, it's a ghost lion!" Oh, <laughs> oh shit! And they all running out the doors, and they're like, "Well, let's." You know, let's go elect Kennedy, goddammit. Um, so this scene, as it's going on, we, you know, after three minutes of him playing with the lion, I guess, all of a sudden, Shadrick, the headless tamer, lion tamer, comes out and starts trying to tame the lion. And he, he's showing, he's trying to show Buck to put his head in the lion's mouth just like he did. And then the lion bites on his neck and boom, we're back upstairs getting breakfast for Medea. It's like... Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. 
just ridiculous like this again. <laughs> uh, so, and now Buck comes up, you know, he's going to get breakfast to his sister. He says he found money um, when Ben comes in because when he's coming downstairs, he's sliding down the pole. He does that throughout the film. And this time, though, there's a little bit of money on the ground. He's like, oh, so he picks it up. And for yet again, another long five minute scene, they're talking about where'd you find this money? How'd it get there? Who is it? How'd you? Well, it and must they, be yours since you must, found it. Yeah. And then, you know, with that, Ben talks about, hey, Buck, I have a story for you. So there's a treasure in this house. And you got to find all this hidden money. So Ben's using Buck to help find where the money is. What a piece of shit. He says they will look for the money and have to tell no one that it's there. It's their um, secret. It's their secret, which Buck is really great at telling everybody he has a secret. Oh, Jesus, if he yeah, didn't he's like, say hey, I got a secret. 12 well, times it? in the film. Hey, I got a secret. Yeah. Hey, I got a secret. He tells everybody. I, would, yeah. I got this a is, secret, but I can't tell you. Like, shut up then. Take it from someone who has an eight-year-old stepson. You don't tell kids secrets. They can never hold on to them. It, it's <laughs> never, ever. Oh, it's just not worth it. Yeah, not I, worth it. I wouldn't trust a kid. Nope, nope. Anyway, Van says they should uh, hold a seance, and they were feeling like, well, okay. Um, oh, by the way, this is when he went um, back the next day to the museum, and Van says, maybe you should hold a seance with Elaine Zacharitis, and then Sai's like, well, wait, I think that's the housekeeper, and they're like, oh, good God, she's, <laughs> she's there. Holy uh, shit. Yep. Yeah. So, because they, they're talking about the spirit of Zorba asking about the money, so Ben comes in and Ben's like, oh, well, we should, no, you should leave. It's, this is a, you shouldn't be there anymore. Buck's talking to me about a secret with Ben, but Hilda comes in talking about the seance. Boy, maybe someone will get murdered is what Buck says when they're about to do. <laughs> yeah. This kid's just like, this kid's, yeah, he's got some, just like the kid in the remake that wants to see like dead bodies and people getting killed. Yeah. Like, these kids need some counseling. Yeah. I like yeah. how they base that kid off of this kid though. Mm-hmm. Both of them are annoying as hell, but then again, they're kids, so I can't fault them for that. Mm -mm. Elaine starts the seance having Cy, Medea, and Hilda hold hands because they're going to figure out like where this money is, what's going on with this house. Um, they say Zorba may come back through Medea or through one of them. Um, Buck slides down the stairs again and sees money coming out of the banister, seeing money in the stairwell. Ooh. Buck says for the 10th time he's got a secret. He's got a secret. Hey, Medea, I've got a secret. Dad, I've got a secret. Do you know I have a secret? It's like, Jesus, kid. <laughs> Elaine calls for Zorba, and we hear wailing and moaning. It sounds... It's the very stereotypical, like, we get it, you guys are... Yeah, old school. <laughs> that's so all I could... That's just... Yeah. Just... That's just what it is. Yeah. Just, I, what, I wonder if that actually scared people back in the day. Like, is that, there's no so way. Silly. Maybe we're just, I don't know. Uh, we've seen so much, though. Like, maybe if we were in the 1960s, it would be Yeah, that's horrifying. what I'm wondering. If you were, <laughs> if you were alive back in 1960, and you're listening to this, and you actually watched this movie for the first time, let us know. Did this actually scare you? Yeah, if any of our listeners between the ages of 65 and 80 watch this in theaters, please get reach out to us. Yes. us. No, seriously, if we have any older listeners, I'd love to know, like, was did this movie scare you going into the theater? I think it would be more of the spectacle of being in a crowded theater and seeing this would make it different yeah. back then. But that's just me. 
Anyway, we're getting near the end now. Here we go. So Elaine calls for Zorba, and Zorba starts talking through Cyrus, and it says, in death. Okay. Cyrus then puts on the glasses. That, that's all he says. Cyrus then puts on the glasses. Wind starts rushing through again. The ghost of Zorba comes out of the painting and starts walking towards him. Cyrus's jaw is like going to the side for no reason at yeah, all. He's, he's looking like the spirits convulsing. Taking over, kind of. Yeah. Ben says Buck shouldn't talk to everyone about the money, trying to get him to go to bed. And so Ben's like, yeah. Ben comes back to the house, by the way, where they're all doing this seance, because now he's going to try to get the money and get the hell out. He's telling Buck, yeah, go upstairs, get the hell out of here. And Buck says, sure. Ben sneaks over to the banister and gets all the money. And Zorba's still walking towards Cyrus and walks into him, possessing him, where he starts saying, 13, death tonight, one of you. Okay. Tonight, death walks again in this evil house, Elaine tells them. Later that night, we're back in Zorba's bedroom where the candles go out. And we see Ben hiding in the bedroom, moving the bed down. Oh, he had the boots on and the cobwebs. He's the ghost. A.K.A. He's, the ghost. he's not a ghost. He's dressed up as one. So Ben carries Buck, who's sleeping, um, to Zorba's bedroom and turns the knob to put the bed down on top of Buck. The ghosts all wake up as Ben is going to kill Buck for some reason. I don't understand. Is he trying to get him to be the 13th ghost? Or is it just just a child killer? I don't know. It's a, a shitty person. A bunch of fog comes through, and the ghost of Plato Zorba goes to grab him. Whoa. Buck wakes up and gets as the bed crushes down on Ben. It's about to. I mean, it doesn't. It's the slowest. Like, we saw the bed going down earlier, and it, and it didn't take very long. Oh, it takes forever. But it, takes for, it takes, you know, ten minutes in this scene as it slowly is about to crush the kid. But as it's happening, the windows open up, and we have all this fog, and in comes Plato Zorba who grabs Ben, the kid wakes up and gets out of the bed and puts Ben underneath the bed that's coming down and it crushes him. Ooh. Slowly. Very slowly. He could have easily moved at any time. But well, Plato's I think the, ghost, the ghost was like holding him uh, down. Oh, okay. I guess that ghost has a little upper arm strength. <laughs> Plato Zorba killed Ben and now all of the earthbound spirits are released. Buck asks Elaine the next day after all the things happen, everything's happened if she's a witch. And she replies, ask me no questions, I'll tell you no lies, saying the ghost will be back. She then grabs a broom, stares at the camera, and does a... And of course, <laughs> that point, we're like, yep, definitely the witch from The Wizard of Oz. And we start, you know, the glasses are now floating out of the box and they explode. And the door closes on the house that says house for sale and the end. That's it. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Yep. And it's definitely not long at all. No, not at all. No, it was like an hour and 20 minutes or something like that. Yeah, if that. But yeah, for. So what scenes stuck out for you in this film? I just something you remember. The. For bad, good or for worse. The Flaming Ghost. Yes. Is like actually cool. Mm hmm. Actually creepy. Other than so that, too. like. I don't know. Seeing, I remember watching this the first time and the lion ghost and everything. I was like, wow, this is kind of dumb. Yeah, and then all the floating objects, like you can just see the strings. I, I know it's 1960. I get that. But it's it just it takes away from the, oh, there's a floating object. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We got the candle scene on the TV right now. And it's, yeah. <laughs> just, just fly on the string. A lot of string use. 
Yeah. Um, oh, you did write the crazy mustache ghost cook. <laughs> that was great because of just how ridiculous it was. Yeah. A mustache is clear across his face. It's a piece of construction paper on his on his mouth. It's so... Yeah, no person... <laughs> he's maybe, like, hey, who took the gabagoo? And maybe, kills Sil- the maybe Silas Poppy, who oh. people here in Omaha know who he is. <laughs> that was him. It was, yeah, that's him as a ghost. Someone didn't like... Someone wasn't fond of his lobster. Oh, wait, no, that's sorry. That's going into some other stuff. And then we got Plato's Zorba's ghost killing Ben and Ben becoming the next ghost. The yeah, 13. when they show all the ghosts at the end. I guess like, I didn't oh. say that. It's probably kind of important since it is 13 ghosts. Yeah, true. So, so yeah, the 13th ghost pretty much could have been almost anyone. And it was almost Buck. But Zorba got his revenge and Ben got murked. And now he's the 13th ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for you, performances from actors, I mean, there's... There's nothing that really sticks out. Other than Margaret Hamilton being, you know, Elaine and the witch and just kind of having that nostalgia for Wizard of Oz. Yeah. All of them, it's just, it's pretty campy, pretty schlocky. Yeah. Nothing like, wow, that was a Vincent Price-esque performance. No, so yeah. Really any of that. Nope. <clears throat> but it wasn't about that. It's not for... This is, you know, this wasn't going to win... Um, you know, best anything. leading role or anything. <laughs> no. So the special makeup effects, like we've already talked about, the ghost bursting into flames is really cool. And yeah, I liked how easily. Zorba's ghost looked. I think the makeup effects were really neat for that. Um, and I did like the ghost coming in and out of the frame. You can kind of see them, <clears> but it's like you have to really look. And I think that just made it, you know, made it more interesting than just seeing like the usual lots of fog and here comes some... Someone's coming in with a bed sheet. It's just like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, what is your feeling about it then? It's, it's fun. Mm-hmm. Especially we were, yeah, we're just like Plato Zorba. <laughs> the, names. the names, the lion, the headless tamer, the chef. Honestly, a lot of this movie's kind of funny. Yeah. It, to it, me. I mean, right. I think it's, it's not supposed to be. I, I think know. it's like an entry, I don't know, for me, it, it it's something that I feel like in the 1960s, like a families would go to see and they would just have a good old time. They could bring their kids and yeah. I think it's one of those, like, I mean, obviously there's other 1960s horror movies that we've talked about a lot that, that are, like, ooh, they, families serious. aren't going to that. Yeah. But this is one I feel like families, like, I would show Connor this and I think he'd be, my stepson, I think he'd be fine with it. I, th- I would show, you know, my students this, you know, the 12 and 13 year old. They'll probably just make fun of me. Like, this is lame, bro. Yeah. For real. Yeah. No cap. <laughs> like, Pretty okay. much. Yeah. So the soundtrack, I liked Von Dexter's score. That was the biggest highlight for me was the music. Because it's just, it builds tension. It's very um, dramatic. The strings always kind of blend in with the woodwind instruments. And then there's piano bits. I just, I think it it eclipsed the movie in some ways because I was listening more to the score and I was like, wow, this is really well done. Um, I thought it sounded great, the orchestral score and alongside the corniness of the ghost sometimes, it was comical, but I still appreciate the music for what it was doing. Do you want to go through the actors and actresses? Yeah, sure. So <clears throat> we got the Zorba family here. Yep. We got... Donald Woods as Cyrus Zorba, Rosemary DeCamp 
as Hilda. We got Joe Morrow as Medea Zorba. Charles Herbert. <laughs> I don't know. Charles, <laughs> Charles Herbert? Herbert as Buck. And uh, we had Martin Miller as Benjamin Rush, the lawyer, and of obviously Margaret Hamilton as Elaine, the yeah. housemaid. The housemaid, yeah. And we got, we'll go over the crew here real quick. We mm-hmm. got Joseph F. Byrock as he was the director of photography with Edwin Bryant as the editor. And we had Ben Lane was the makeup supervisor, which, yeah, some of the ghost makeup. Mm-hmm. It, it was cool. Very cool. And then Richard Albane as special effects and Donald C. Glauner as the visual effects producer. Yeah. No, I, I thought um, I thought the photography and the makeup were, were also pretty good. Um, especially the way they track shots throughout this house. Like, you always feel like you're following the family. and um, Pretty cool. But um, I think... Let's talk about William Castle. I don't have much background knowledge to him. Really, it's only recently where I've started to kind of understand what his shtick was and everything. And here's what I found. So alongside like Roger Corman, another B-movie master, in this case B-horror movies, master of low-budget horror films, especially known for theater gags, gimmicks, self-promotion. He would have things like people signing an insurance policy against death by fright. For one of his movies skeletons flying through the audience he would jolt the audience with static electricity during different scenes in the tingler and then also randomly yeah. he was a producer on rosemary's baby which is like whoa really and that movie is huh. astoundingly good you know director is a piece of shit but when we get to that we'll get to that another day oh yeah so i looked more into his background so he started off with crime thrillers like in the 40s and they all received moderate reviews like they were just they were okay. Like they, the box office, they weren't box office hits. They're not remembered or anything. Um, in the fifties, he had this whole slew of historical war films and Westerns. Um, a lot of Westerns actually, and all of them received fairly low scores. So they were just run of the mill, like, uh, you know, cowboy comes to town. There's the law versus Billy. the Yeah, exactly. So (laughs) it's just very straightforward. So his first horror film became Macabre, um, followed up by the most highly rated horror film of his, House on Haunted Hill. Hell yeah. Which is the one I've seen. We've also got The Tingler and 13 Ghosts. Those were his top three films that most people agree, like, these are the ones that you want to watch if you want to get an idea from Mr. Castle here. Um, and his focus is not on, you know, a, a intricate story. It's not on performances. It's simply on the glamour of effects and thrills. Good, what I would call popcorn movies. Um, it's supposed to be about atmosphere and having the audience kind of be dragged into this this world and, and enjoy the sights and the sounds and the spookiness. Yeah. What do you think for William Castle when you've, you've seen a few of his movies? Like, how would you overall describe your experiences watching them? Um... I'm a sucker for House on Haunted Hill. Mm-hmm. I like both the original and the remake. We're going to have to do mm-hmm. that one, too. But yes. obviously, it's got Vincent Price in it. And mm-hmm. then he had Vincent Price in The Tingler, which I just watched for the first time last year, too. And that nice. one's pretty good. Mm-hmm. They all have their own gimmicks and gags. And he's definitely got his own style for doing so. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, this movie was released in the U.S., and there was no alternate names except for the German name, Das Unheimlich Erbe, 
It's like, okay. Um, it grossed $3 million, $270,000, which seemed low. So I assumed that there must be more or less to that. But that's all that they had. So I mean, back then, that's... But back then, though, that's pretty good. So yeah. I imagine that might be the... Um, I think that's just for the U.S. I don't know about worldwide. Now, the Rotten Tomatoes score, this is something we can talk about. 36% from critics, 41 by viewers. Pretty low. Pretty low. Why do you think yeah. it's so low? Because it's so corny. <laughs> yeah, that's why. I think It's this scene right here it's the, it's, with the lion and yeah. the tamer. That's what I was like, all right, time to move on. Yeah, that and then, like you said, the <laughs> scene with Buck and Ben. Some scenes just drag out a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. And I think just the performances of the actors and actresses, like they, we never really fear for them. It's, they're just like, whoa, wow, there's ghosts. And yeah. They, yeah. You know, they're, they're not they're like, scared. Nothing. Buck's all like, maybe someone will die. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, dad, cool. you almost got your head chopped off by a mustachioed Italian chef. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, I think it's just fun. Um, so when I get into the rating system, I wouldn't kill it. No, no, no. I'd watch it once and say that you watched it. Just move on. Yeah. I probably don't plan on like, oh, it's going to be an annual watch for me. It's just a, a fun movie that there are some cool things about it, but there's a lot of just like, this is not necessary. Yeah. How about yourself? I would say watch it. Like I watched it just to be like, wow. Like, when I first found out about this, I was like, holy shit, there's a 1960 version of 13 Ghosts? I gotta watch it. And then I watched it, and I was like, wow, that was it. <laughs> but I would say watch it, especially it's free on Tubi, right. Plex, and YouTube. So, mm-hmm. honestly, it's free. Yeah, it's give not it a that go. long. So I'd say give it a go. Yeah. And comparatively, when we get into the remake here coming up, we'll then have to compare and contrast the two because, gosh, there are vastly different, like, you know, um, story elements and everything, and the characters are, there are some similarities, but boy. Yeah. Almost completely different movies. I would have never even guessed, other than the fact that there are 13 ghosts, that this is, like, even remotely similar. There are ghosts around us all the time. Most of them, they can't hurt us. Most of them don't even want to hurt us. But there are exceptions. Is it bad tonight? Oh, bad is my professional opinion. We should get the hell out of here. Now. I represent the estate of your Uncle Cyrus. We have an Uncle Cyrus. Cyrus recorded this message six weeks ago. He asked it to be played for you in the event of his death. Arthur, I've instructed my lawyer to deliver my last will and testament. A key? A key to what? A key to your new house. This house is the fruit of my life's work. Oh, my God. It is a one of a kind home. It's marvelous, isn't it? Wow. Arthur, we've got some papers to sign in the library. After that, I would love to take you and the family around the tour of the house. This place is awesome! All right, now I know I'm dreaming. Well, your uncle was quite a collector of many things. What the hell was that? 
this Halloween. You're wasting your time. It's all sealed up. The only thing worse than being trapped in a house with a ghost. This house is not a house. We're in the middle of a machine. Powered by the dead. Is being trapped in a house with 13 ghosts. Maggie! What? We got company. Where? I can't see. How close is it? Close enough to hurt you. Go, 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 go! to get me killed i guarantee nothing okay with that let's get into the remake real quick and then we could talk about this and that and the other and what this one did compared to that one mm-hmm. so steve beck yes 13 ghosts came out in 2001 by steve beck under dark castle entertainment if any of you remember that how did you hear about it well, I saw it in um, Hollywood video, and I was like, that's a cool-ass cover, and that's all I needed at that time. That's what I loved about and missing those days of, like, you know, Blockbuster and Hollywood video, just going to a store and looking at just the box art for stuff. Some things I'd always avoid, like, for some reason, Child's Play was the one that always scared me, so I always stayed away from that section. But <laughs> I would just go through and be like, oh, 13 ghosts, and I had the face with all the ghosts in the face. I'm like... That's badass. I want this movie. And yeah, the cover does look cool. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the reason why I got it and watched it a few times. And yeah, very much enjoyed it. I mean, look, watching it recently again, I'm like, oh, I see why it's rated so low. But there, yeah. there's a lot of nostalgic value for me. So that's why I hold it a little bit more highly than even the original. Yeah. But how about I would, yourself? I would have to say the same thing. Uh, let's see, 2001, I was only nine years old. And I remember like watching this with my mom because I don't know we watched <laughs> we watched we watched like Scream Three and Thirteen Ghosts and stuff like that back in the day. Oh. So I was I started watching horror movies at mm-hmm. a pretty young age, yeah. but this was another one of those. I think we may have seen the trailer, or I saw the cover like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's check this out. Oh, yeah. You want to do the spoiler-free shorts? Ooh, yes. Then I'll get into the nitty-gritty. Yes. So a state-of-the-art remake of the classic William Castle horror film about a family that inherits a spectacular old house from an eccentric uncle. There's just one problem. The house seems to have a dangerous agenda all its own. Trapped in their new home by strangely shifting walls, the family encounters powerful and vengeful entities that threaten to annihilate anyone in their path. Man, that short summary is a lot better than mine it's just ooh, it's <laughs> verbose and very mm. if there, that doesn't tickle your fancy more. there's yeah. a lot more to the remake that's for sure mm-hmm. so yeah i mean trigger warnings and eh, like i don't i don't know it's got your uh, your so, fare of good pretty good gore and mm-hmm. Decent gore. Some, and there is a couple of good kills, that's for yeah, sure. But so, so I don't CGI, think CGI effects over are the like, top. Yeah. It's, yeah. There's nothing too like, ooh. I mean, comparatively to the movies we've covered recently, where yeah. there's like five trigger warnings, it's like, oh this is just kind of like, yeah, it's just typical horror fare. Yeah. Yep. 
So let's get into it. Spoilers. The movie starts out in an old junkyard. There's stacks and stacks of cars and yellow tape everywhere. A convoy enters the junkyard, starting with a giant truck smashing open the gates. An entire crew of people in special suits. There's like not really hazmat suits, but they're like plastic suits. Like (laughs) I don't, I just call them special suits. Like they're ponchos. Yeah, like case of rain type deals. Oh well. (laughs) Uh, I think I know why they're wearing those ponchos. We'll get you. So, yeah. An entire crew of people come in wearing special suits, and they start setting up equipment everywhere, like speakers, microphones, flares, etc. Two men then show up. Dennis Rathkin, played by the lovely Matthew Lillard. Mm-hmm. And Cyrus Criticos, played by F. Murray Abraham. Rathkin is having headaches because he has psychic abilities. We learn this throughout the movie. His psychic abilities are flaring up, and Cyrus shows him a picture of the junkyard asking, where is he at? Where is he at? Rathkin touches the ground with his hand and gets a series of flashes, stating that whoever it is that they were looking for has captured or has killed 40 victims in the area. He's like, oh, you lied. He said he only killed a few people. After he died. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's killed more after he died. So we find out that Cyrus is out catching ghosts. And his, uh, his men capture two, I, I put protesters, quote unquote. because Ghost like, rights activists. Yeah, we find out that they're ghost rights activists. Like so like, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. So yeah, these, these two activists have been spying on him and his work and saying it's not right to capture ghosts. They're human beings still. And that he will never pull it off without the right spells and the 13th ghost. And Rafkin goes, 13 ghosts? You contracted me for 12. And Cyrus is like, yeah, one more after this. And he orders his men to release the bait, which is a truck full of blood to lure out the ghost. I wonder if that's why they're wearing the poncho type. Oh, clothes. that makes sense. This, yeah. This truck okay. comes out. It is raining. It's just raining blood. Yeah. Spraying blood all <laughs> over the place. And we'll slay your part of the whole movie. They start playing this recording over like a tape of a chant over the loudspeakers. I wonder if might be latin or some shit yeah the ghost comes out and kills a few of his men before they can manage to capture inside this quote-unquote cube trap which we kind of find out so it's like a a glass cube that has we'll find out later containment spells written Mm -hmm. all over it and by the way so looking at what's on the when it does show you can kind of see the wording it's just random Latin words. There's, Is it really? That's funny. Do it. It's just I thought random. You, I thought you were gonna bring up how it looks like the ring. Oh, well, okay. How the too. letters glow. Oh, from Lord of the Rings. Damn it! See, where'd you take that from me? I was getting to that. <laughs> oh, were you? Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> uh, what? Well, yeah. Okay. There you go. You did the Lord of the Rings reference yeah, this time. I did Wasn't it. me. I did it. <laughs> I did it. So after they capture the ghost in the cube trap, uh, Rafkin finds one of the activists dead, along with Cyrus is dead. And then we flash to a family with the casting credits playing in the background. And it shows the older sister and the younger brother playing out in the backyard. It shows the mom and dad and then goes through the house with a monologue of a birthday going on in the background. And the birthday goes wrong. <laughs> so... A house fire. Too many candles of, on the cake, I too guess. Too many candles on the cake. Like I don't know. A house fire happens and the mom dies. 
and all this it's kind of like panning through the house showing yeah. the credits and going through all of it then it finally comes back around to the dad just sitting there staring outside with a, bent, a burnt picture of his wife and then back to the older sister she walks in telling her dad that it's time and hey it's like 8 30 you gotta get ready and her and the nanny are downstairs making breakfast and the little kid is recording on his toy tape recorder talking about Oh, they found a body decopulated. And <laughs> the nanny's like, you mean decapitated? So yeah. okay. there's a comparison to both of the kids. Like the kid, Buck, reading ghost stories. This kid is into spooky, fucked up shit as well. His name's mm-hmm. Bobby in this one. Yeah, I, by the way, I found the... I get they're trying to get background to this family. It's just very strange because it's it does this you know panoramic view of, of their old room... And we get this story just through, you know, audio clips of like the mom burns up and she passes away and then it goes to the funeral. We hear them crying. It's it's I mean, I don't want to fault them for doing something different. I was just like, we could have just done away with that, I guess. I don't know. I thought that was a bit like, oh, I get they're trying to establish the backstory of the family and, you know, Tony Shellboob's character, a.k.a. Monk. I just always think of him as Monk. Yes. Yeah. He's in a horror movie. It's just so weird to see him in this. Yeah. Every time I see him, like, this is the guy that's in, like, a quirky, like, detective drama um, comedy thing. So, anyway. Well, let move on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, later that morning, uh, the lawyer shows up. And uh, lawyer. we hear that Cyrus is the dad's uncle so just like same as the original same story laura shows up hey your uncle cyrus has died guess what here's his will mm-hmm. so we got arthur's the dad kathy's the sister bobby's the little brother gene is the deceased mom and maggie is she's like a nanny yep nanny yeah i would just like what do i pay nanny. you for yeah they yeah true work. and cyrus is arthur's uncle so a little bit more Regular names. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Arthur, Kathy, Bobby, Maggie. That's like, they watched the original like, okay, Plato, Hilda, all that shit. Let's just <laughs> yeah. normal ass American names. So yeah, the lawyer shows up and presents a video over a laptop that Cyrus had recorded <laughs> in, in order to give Arthur in the event of his death. And cause they are his only relatives and yeah. he, and he gives them the key to his house in their will. It's the fruit of his life's work. And I said, what the fuck? The background on the computer behind the video is like some Necronomicon look. Well, it shit. looks like a Windows 98 computer game. Like, it looks like Diablo 2. Yeah. The, it, it's like the, the family the, doesn't even acknowledge it. I'd be like, what the fuck yeah, is this shit? Like, it shows a little screen and it's like, it just reminded me of those old computer games I'd play where it would have like real time videos and they were always very grainy. It's just, <laughs> yeah. It's just so, I was, it's just. I mean, it's different than getting a box and having a fly on a string fly in. So at least there's that. Yeah, true. So, yeah, they get the key to the house and they ask, oh, where is it? Can we go see it? And it's only a couple hour drive from where they live. We then get a montage of the woman activist, the ghost mm-hmm. activist. And she's getting ready for something while the family is driving, accompanied by the song Excess by Tricky. Weird ass so, like, song. I believe in it, believe in it. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll put it in. Yeah. But throughout the score, very early two thousands music for that. I was like, yeah, you know, and I noticed throughout the score they use like 
different parts of that song Ooh. edited like certain notes and and this and that so i was like that's kind of cool that's, they yeah, use yeah. this one song and they like sneak it into the score throughout the rest of the movie hmm. so yeah they show up to the house and rafkin is there disguised as a power, power guy. guy i didn't want to put cable guy easily <laughs> and he says he needs to check the check the breakers yada 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 we got a bunch of houses without power i gotta check the breakers here he's just making up some bullshit lies so he could get in the mm-hmm. lawyer is being a dick and tell him to fuck off but arthur is like oh no it's fine you could you could come in and he inserts the key and some weird mechanical shit throughout the house starts moving the entire house is made of glass walls so naturally they all split up and check out the house so this mm-hmm. house compared to the original house. I mean, like, obviously, it's yeah, it's so it's more like a, it's like a Panopticon Labyrinth Hellraiser esque. Just yeah, it. There's no. It, it's more you can tell like as you walk in, like yeah, this is definitely a very eccentric guy. Um, as you said in the beginning, there. Yeah, the whole house is made of glass. I mean, it's, it's a just... house, but it's like a. You know, it's like a museum, which is quite interesting because in the original film, the guy worked at a natural history museum and there's a lot of historical artifacts spread throughout the house. So maybe that's a mm. little, you know, okay. honoring the original. And the because yeah. the main guy is a math teacher in this. And speaking as a teacher, I know that. If I get into a fucked up house and it's like, yeah, we don't have to pay taxes on it, that's fine. But there's a ghost? Nah. Uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he insists the key. The house starts doing its thing, and they all split up to check out the house. Mm-hmm. Only Rafkin knows what's going on and starts having his vision attacks. It goes back and forth between him having his attacks and Arthur talking to the lawyer about what kind of money that would be involved because like you said i mean it's the same as the original the family mm-hmm. doesn't have money especially after well the mom dies in this one mm-hmm. that has a big factor in all of it yeah so rafkin puts on his glasses that he is wearing in the beginning to see the ghosts there's the glasses and lets you see the ghosts like the original and he sees quite a few downstairs in the basement and runs runs back up to warn arthur about what's going on that he used to hunt ghosts with his uncle and we get Classic Matthew Lillard kind of freaking out. Like, come on, man. You got to get out of here. I'm feeling woozy, man. (laughs) He actually is woozy throughout Uh, a lot of this. Oh, yeah. So he warns Arthur to get his children outside of the house where you'll further explain everything. And we cut to Kathy finding a bedroom. And Maggie and Bobby are going throughout the house as well. Damn kids. So Maggie finds a pair of, of the glasses on a dresser. And Rafkin starts having attacks when Arthur touches him, trying to help him. And the lawyer sneaks off downstairs with a pair of glasses himself. You see some of the prayers written on the floors. Uh, well, they're containment spells. Yeah. I don't know why I put prayers, but written on the <laughs> written on the floors and, 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 the wa- and the walls glowing when you wear the glasses. So they look normal, but if you're looking at them through the glasses, they got that glow like 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 Ashnas and Batul and the One Ring, the One Ring. Mm-hmm. To rule them all. It makes so sense. The lawyer walks by all the ghosts and he's like, ha ha, yeah, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. And he goes into a room to grab a suitcase full of money. But when he picks up the suitcase, it releases a lever that the suitcase was sitting on. And it's a lever to the machine that controls the whole house. So the walls start moving and the house seals itself shut while a giant machine starts working its way, releasing the ghosts one at a time. Starting with the princess. 
She walks towards the warrior, and as he backs up, the door slides shut, slicing him in half straight down the middle. That's my favorite scene in the whole thing. Yeah, and I think that's like, the one whoa. that sticks with most people because it just looks so great. But yeah, because yeah, he's walking by the prince, is like, oh, nice tits. <laughs> yeah, because she's just butt ass naked. Yeah, throughout this whole film, and it's like, I don't mind. And then when he's when this opens up and she's she has the knife and walking towards him, he's like, oh, I'm I'm totally kidding. I was just, yeah, it's he's like backing yeah. up and then shoop, like shoop. two glass doors just shut, slice them in half. It's crazy. His front half like slides down and then you see his insides and everything. Uh-huh. It's awesome. That, yeah, that's one of the neatest things. I think that's the thing that sticks sticks out in the whole movie for me. Yeah, probably Has since I you, watched it. Yeah, if you ask somebody, they'll be like, oh yeah, the, the mm-hmm. that'll probably be what they bring up. Oh yeah. 90% of the time. Oh yeah. So yeah, after that, we then go to Kathy in the bathroom and the camera looks, it like pans and goes through the glasses that are sitting on the table. And you can see that there's blood everywhere. And the princess ghost shows up in the room as the house continues to seal itself shut. Kathy is washing her face, but it's actually blood. It looks like water to her. It's blood through the glasses. I don't know mm-hmm. what they're, they're just trying to make it spooky. I yeah, think. it's like she's, you know, excited about having a bathroom. And then she's like, she washes her, washes her face like five times. Yeah. I'm like, I don't get that excited about running water. But then again, <laughs> yeah. who knows what Their they were living in is, before. Yeah, so I guess, okay. But, you know, anyone knows anything about Shan Elizabeth. She's not known for her acting skills. <laughs> yeah. Boy, howdy. <laughs> so, yeah, she's like running the bathtub, just washing her face, and you can see the princess is just sitting there watching her. Maggie shows up, too, and she got separated by Bobby due to all the doors shifting. The ghosts are trying to lure Bobby downstairs. We hear a bunch of voices, and one of the voices is saying, come here, while another voice says to not listen and to not come downstairs. I wonder who that is. Meanwhile, Arthur tries breaking a door with a chair, but but the chair breaks. And we have Rafkin, Maggie, Arthur, and Kathy. They all get back together. And Maggie asks, did the lawyer split? <laughs> I loved that. Yeah, it's so fucking bad. <laughs> She's like, what happened split? to the lawyer? Did he split? Uh, <laughs> and it's like, okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so throughout the whole movie, the machine and the house are continuously moving, shifting, changing. All the ghosts are slowly let out one by one. Arthur and the family go around yelling for Bobby, but Rafkin explains that the glass is shatterproof and soundproof. Just, like, no point in yelling mm-hmm. or trying to break it down as we caught earlier because right. it just broke the fucking chair. So Maggie asks what the writing on the walls are. <laughs> what the writing on the walls is. And I put a quote-unquote under oath. You like that one? Uh, that was good. Insert under oath uh, here. Yeah. And Rafkin explains that there are containment. <laughs> They are containment spells for the ghosts and hands Maggie a pair of the glasses. Arthur wants to go downstairs and Rafkin's all like, fuck that. But Arthur persuades him. He's like, I'll pay you whatever my uncle owed you. Just help me find my kids so we can all get the fuck out of here. And we go back to Bobby. He's downstairs and he could hear voices. And one of them is saying to put on the glasses and get upstairs. We find out that it's the ghost of his mom. Oh. She shows up and tells him to go on and get. <laughs> He backs into the wall and turns around to find his dead uncle <clears throat> and screams as the scene cuts back to the family. Arthur decides then that they should split up to cover more ground, of course. Of course. Classic Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Like, 
Roll. You yeah. go this way, go this way. So we got Kathy and Arthur, and then we got Maggie and Rathkin split up together. Maggie's all like, I don't want to go with him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny. She's the comedic relief in this, for sure. Yes. So Rafkin shows Maggie the ghost through the glasses, but also discovers that some of the doors have opened, and he flips off one of the ghosts and has a vision vision of himself dying, and he Ooh. mouths, what the fuck? So we've already gotten... Comp- you know, we've seen these few ghosts so far compared to the original ghosts. What would you say, what do you think of these ghosts so far? What sticks out to you? Because I think for me, the the makeup and the makeup effects of the ghosts is what makes this movie. Um, is, I mean, yeah, they're all practical makeup mm-hmm. effects. It looks really it's cool. not CGI or anything. Yeah, there is CGI in this, but the ghosts luckily are all not CGI there. Yeah. It's all makeup and prosthetics. And I feel like it would have probably aged very poorly if they were, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, we've already met the princess, which is the heavily breasted woman in the tub. Um, we've seen the, the juggernaut. He's the, the ghost from the beginning. The he's just, the beginning. Some, he's just the some beast. dude that's like cut up or he's just a shit. taller Gary Busey. Um, <laughs> I, every time I see him, I was like, that's good. Then we see the, um, what is it, the unwanted, this kid with a baseball bat that always hits it at this, the glass. Oh, that's the Torn Prince. The Torn Dude, Prince, thank I you. Got, I got the list. Oh, maybe. good, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I sometimes don't forget their names. And we see, you know, so we're getting these cool ghosts, and all of them are so unique. Comparing, to, obviously, to the original, it's hard because they specifically wanted all the ghosts to have a different backstory. And I know in the special DVD... They had like a background to each of the ghosts, which I think is really cool. But I think that's what sticks out for me is that we meet these ghosts and they all have, a, you know, they all look so cool, so different. Yeah, they're all, yeah, very different and very unique. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> We're coming up to my favorite ghost, though. So after he, yeah, after Rafkin flips off one of the ghosts and sees himself <laughs> dying, has a vision of himself dying. We go back to Kathy and Arthur, and they find Bobby's tape recorder downstairs. Arthur rewinds it and plays it back, of course, hearing Bobby scream. And, you know, he's like, oh, my God. And Kathy's like, we'll find him. We'll find him. Mm -hmm. We go back to Maggie and Rafkin. There's a lot of back and forth here. Maggie and Rafkin. And he sees the symbol of the jackal. And he says, screw the kid. We got to leave (laughs) because the jackal is on the fucking loose. And honestly, the jackal was the scariest ghost, especially oh, when I was a kid. Down. Like, this was like, whoa, fuck that. And so, yeah, back to Kathy as she puts on the glasses and she gets attacked by the the jackal. The jackal's fucking All scary. getting fucked up by the jackal. I would yeah. still not want to deal with that. No, thank you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then we got the, the lady activist from the beginning shows up with a flare and throws it at the jackal's helping get Kathy away from it. It cuts back and forth between them and Rafkin with Maggie, running into ghost after ghost, trying to escape the basement. Then back to Arthur, asking who the hell the lady is. And then we get her backstory. Her name is Kalina Ortizia. She's a spirit liberator, quote unquote, in the spirit reclamation business. And she frees trapped souls. She then explains Mm -hmm. that Cyrus's plan Oh, explains his plan and what exactly is going on with the house and the ghosts. The house is powered by a machine, which is designed by the devil. Of course. 
Arthur says, I don't give a shit. <laughs> and Kathy he says that a lot. He's like, I, I don't care give about a my shit. kids. So yeah. like, oh, you're going to save the world. I don't give a shit. What I want to get. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Basileus is machine. I don't give a shit. It's like, okay, we get it. You just care about your kids and being a math teacher. We get it. Yeah. So Kathy disappears and they get chased by the jackal again. By the way, the jackal's look. That's one of my favorite ghosts. It's got the caged head. It's got this, you know, exorcist looking like face. Yeah. With scratches across. That's probably why it scared the shit and out of me. And these red, reddish eyes. And it's unlike the other it's ghosts that kind of stalk their, their, you know, their prey. It just runs like straight on and just tears and rips and shreds. It's just, oh. It's it's just so cool. Coolest yeah. ghost in the in the movie for me. Absolutely. I had a hiccup. <laughs> I'll edit that out. Okay. So back to Rafkin having vision attacks as the ghost with the baseball bat starts attacking him. We learn that that's the tor- the torn prince. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. And he quickly gets away. So now they only have one pair of glasses between Maggie and Rafkin. So they got to look out for each other as they make w- their way through the house while avoiding the ghosts. They eventually meet up with Arthur and Kalina as they're literally coming up through a panel on the floor. I wonder how they even got that open. If it's, right. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. I don't need to. Yeah. yeah. It's just, oh, we got to go. Hey, look. We got to go up. Let's just move this panel or whatever. Then that's when Arthur gets attacked by the jackal, but they get away again after he gets fucked up. He get, like gets clawed in the back mm-hmm. just relentlessly. Just wow. Shortly after. Rafkin and Kalina start getting into it because they know each other's background. And Kalina brings up that the fourth ghost is Arthur's wife. And Arthur Ooh. then punches Rafkin and blames him. But Kalina tells him about the machine, explaining that it's an exact replica of the Basilius machine. Basilius's machine. I don't give a shit. I just want to save my kids. So I got a little bit of description in here. Basilius's machine, as described by Kalina, is a house-like machine quote-unquote, designed by the devil and powered by the dead. It physically resembles a two-story mansion with walls made of ectobar glass etched with flattened containment spells, and at the heart of the house is a central core of huge mechanical gears and a rotating crest of rings. It requires 13 earthbound spirits, all of which represent the Black Zodiac, in order to work. Once the machine is activated, it will supposedly open the Ocularis Infernum, which is Latin for... Yeah, the eye of hell. The eye of hell. Yeah. Yeah. Which grants their the user unfathomable power. So the machine is named after a 15th century astrologer, Basilius, who created the blueprints for the machine in the Arcanum while he was under demonic possession. The machine was built by Cyrus Criticos in this movie nearly 600 years later. However, it was destroyed before it could gain the 13th ghost needed to complete the Black Zodiac and open and open the ocular. Oh, I just I just spoiled the end. Sorry. <laughs> the, machine was, <clears throat> the machine was designed to use the ghosts of the Black Zodiac to open the Eye of Hell and works when the 13 Earth-bound souls, 12 of which each represent a sign of the Black Zodiac, are fed to the machine's core, sucking their energy. So, wow. That is a lot. It's a whole and, thing. So that's the one thing that I think for, for people watching this movie... Um, maybe why the scores the way they are is just because it was like, wow, they really tried to do their best with the backstory. They really tried to do their best with the, like, you know, why Cyrus is capturing ghosts. Because in the old movie, it's just, he's capturing ghosts. And and that, there's no, 
I think there's nothing else really to it. But in this one, it's like he's capturing ghosts for a specific purpose. Yeah. And it's a very like, oh, you know, 16th century and Latin and the Black Zodiac. And it's just, it's a very in-depth explanation. And I think for some people, they got lost in that and just like, well, I don't know what the hell's going on. It makes sense to me, but I think it's, I mean, it's early 2000s and they were thinking of all, I mean, this is the same like era where we get like Jason X, a lot of crazy shit. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm willing to forgive them for some of these crazy uh, ass ideas. So let's go over the 13th ghost real quick. Uh-huh. And so we got one, the firstborn son, mm-hmm. two, the torso, three, the bound woman, four, the withered lover, five, the torn prince, six, the angry princess, seven, the pilgrimess, Eight and nine are the great child and the dire mother. Ten, the hammer. Eleven, the jackal. Twelve, the juggernaut. Thirteen, question mark. Question mark. In order to <laughs> stop the machine slash the house, it's a sacrifice of life instead of death. A willing human sacrifice. The sacrifice of a broken heart. Human love. The thirteenth ghost. Love, quote unquote, love is the most powerful energy. It's like the fifth element. Oh. Anybody? Oh. Great oh. film. Not horror, but... So in order to save his child, he needs to sacrifice himself, he being Arthur. That or they could blow up the house as she <laughs> dump, dumps out a bag of explosives. And this is when Arthur comes up with an idea. They take a piece of the glass with the containment spell and they use it as a walking shield. Him and Rafkin are moving about with it. And Maggie and Kalina make it to the center of the house where they, we discover that Cyrus, the uncle, is actually alive and Kalina is in on it. Oh, Bitch. Meanwhile, Rafkin and Arthur fight off ghosts. Rafkin then uses himself as bait to buy Arthur some time. And this is when Rafkin gets murdered by the hammer and the juggernaut. Rips him and breaks him in half. Breaks him in half. R.I.P. Matthew Mm -hmm. Lillard. He's feeling woozy. (laughs) His mom's going to be so mad at him. (laughs) (laughs) So then we get uh, Cyrus and Kalina. They... They play the tape of spells over the loudspeaker, and we see all the ghosts head towards the center room where the machine is, and Arthur sees his wife for a brief moment before her spirit is summoned to the center as well. Cyrus then lures Kalina into a trap room where she is crushed to death, because, yeah, this guy's a, a dick. Yeah. And Kathy and Bobby are all tied up on like a platform in the middle of the rotating rings. So each spirit represents a ring and they're all spinning around each other, creating a barrier between Arthur and his kids. All of the ghosts are also standing in a circle around the outside of the rings. But Arthur figures out real fast that his uncle is in fact not dead and attacks him. But Cyrus tells him his big plan, like it's news. Like, yeah, we already figured it out, my Hmm. dude. Until Maggie then shows up and stops the tape. She fucks with all the mm-hmm. whatever is playing the tape. It fucks it all up. And after that, the ghosts leave. They had they leave the outside of the ring that they were forming the circle around. And they pick up Cyrus, throwing him into the spinning rings, killing him. He just gets, like, chopped. <laughs> the most CGI scene the whole thing. Is yeah, definitely. Bits of computer-generated torso just fly at the screen <laughs> for us. We get a little motivational speech from Rafkin's ghost, and Arthur enters the room. The machine is out of control now, and the ring stops spinning for like a couple seconds every so often. So He's a like, math teacher, so he knows exactly when. Yeah, and Arthur makes the <laughs> leap just in time and reaches his kids. The house starts exploding while this machine is spiraling out of control. 
destroying everything and freeing the spirits. Arthur, the kids, and Maggie are all safe. The mom's ghost says her goodbyes, and Maggie has a little rant ending with, I quit! And that's <laughs> when the movie fucking ends. Roll credits in Mirror Mirror by Raw Digga plays as the credit song, which I looked into it, and Raw Digga is actually Maggie. Oh, so it's one of her songs that the, during the credit scene. Sweet. So, yeah. Yep. That's that. That's the movie. So um, the scenes that stick out. I mean, we talked about already the lawyer being split in half, and that's the one that I'm pretty sure everybody remembers. Everybody yeah. knows. Um, for me, the the jackal, just every it's that ghost in itself is just awesome and the coolest design alongside the. What's the one with all the nails in his head? Uh, That's the um, hammer. The hammer is also badass, too. Um, then, yeah, Matthew Lillard getting split in half. And really, the performances were all kind of over the place, but everyone loves Matthew Lillard, so that's who we all remember um, as the eccentric ghost hunter, psychic, kind of a shitty person, but then tries to make up for it in the end. And there you go. Um... I think for me, the main takeaway from the movie is the the makeup and prosthetics of the ghosts was the is what really makes it stick out because it's not we're not in it for the story and we're definitely not in it for the characters. It's for the cool ass effects of the ghosts and they look great and I think that's what makes this film still hold up is because of the makeup effects of the ghosts and just like the original, this movie was about spectacle. It wasn't about oh here's this. I mean they tried to. In- put a more intricate story into the background like you talked about earlier with Basilius's machine and the, yeah. the Black Zodiac and all that, but I think most people were in it just to watch you know, ghosts brutalizing people. That's it. So you said earlier about John Frizzle, who did the music, he used some of those earlier songs in his score, correct? Yeah, I noticed just like very small parts, like mm-hmm. Maybe like certain notes, because there's just I'll pl- I'll put this song I'll try to put this song in, but like you can notice just certain elements of that mm-hmm. song being used throughout the score on top of whatever he is doing for the score. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, and it's a really minimalist score. It's it's more of like your typical horror fare. Um, a lot of single notes being held out, some small sections where there's some, you know, like you know, horns and more like uh, keyboard-esque, like building and ramping up. Um, and really, that's kind of it for that. It didn't stick out too much, unlike the original, which I think had an incredible soundtrack and the orchestral movements and everything. I mean, this one didn't have bassoon solo, so I was disappointed. <laughs> no. Yeah. So the actors, we've got Dennis Rafkin, Matthew Lillard, Arthur Criticos is Tony, er, Tony Shalhoub, a.k.a. Monk, for those of you who are Monk fans. Kathy Criticos as Shannon Elizabeth. Bobby Criticos as Alec Roberts. Cyrus Criticos as F. Murray Abram, who just recently was in White Lotus, which is an incredible show. And Maggie is Ra Digga. Hmm. Interesting rap name. Um, so we've got our, you know, cinematography and editors. Now, here's the thing. They've had a lot of people work on this movie. It was a giant list. I've never seen a list this long. So we have 
Gail Tattersall, director of photography, Derek Brecken and Edward Worshulka as editors. Jenny Gullett did the costume design, which I think she should have won an award for. That's the best part of the whole film. I think just the costumes of the ghosts. Oh, yeah. And then we have Howard Berger as the key makeup FX supervisor and Victoria Downs, the key makeup artist. Now, when I was looking at the visual and special effects, I was like, that's a lot of people. And I counted them all. There were 99 people on the visual effects team. What? I know. 99 people. I counted every single one of them. It took me a while. <laughs> 99 people did visual and special effects. Oh my gosh. That's wow. That's Dark, crazy. Dark Castle was going all out back then. Yeah, they were. So what, do you want to talk about Steve Beck? Cause I don't really know a single thing about him. Oh, uh, he doesn't have a whole lot. <laughs> okay. There we go. So he only did 13 ghosts and ghost ship back to back years in October of 2001 and 2002. Mm. Ghost ship got a 15% rotten tomatoes. Oof. This movie's got 19% in Rotten Tomatoes by critics, <laughs> and I maybe that's why he's only done two yeah, movies. Yeah, like, I'm good. They but, both have real, <laughs> They both have one really cool scene, though. Like, Ghost Ship, everyone knows the beginning scene. Yeah. Other than that, though, that's it. Like, that opening He's good is, at splitting people in half. Oh, he's very good with that, yeah. But then I also was looking into it, and he was the visual effects art director for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Ooh, that's a good one. And The Abyss. He worked on those two movies. Huh. How did the other movies do? Well, his two directorial films were poorly rated by critics, and that's probably why you only have two, like from, I said. Yeah. And they were both under the Dark Castle Entertainment Films studios. So, Which is, yeah, I mean, Dark Castle, a.k.a. William Castle, so it makes uh, sense that they're hmm. trying to do an ode to him. So mm, Yeah, because they also did House on Haunted Hill mm-hmm. right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, the country of Ord, it came out on October twenty sixth, two thousand one. For um, anyone paying attention, this is about oh two months before Lord of the Rings: Fellowship of the Ring came out. So it was a great year in movies, two thousand one. Incredible year. <laughs> um, USA is where it came out. Then there's no alternate names for the movies, so it's just based on the original. Yeah, I didn't see it. Um, Rotten Tomato score, like I said, was nineteen percent and a forty nine audience score. Um, there's nowhere to really watch this in streaming, so you have to rent it or buy it. Um, I just watched your DVD copy. So. Oh, here we go. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. The uh, budget in the box office, something I forgot here. So, oh, yeah. It had a budget of $42 million and the box office it made 68 Oh, so, so it okay. made money back and then some, so there's that at least. But, but yeah, so giving, given all of this, would you kill it, watch it, or buy it? I mean, you already have it. You already bought it. So I mean, like, I, I mean, I've owned that DVD for like twenty years, probably. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's probably why it doesn't really want to work anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, good point. De- definitely watch this one for sure. That's what I would say. I don't. I mean, honestly. So, in order to watch it, you could rent it for three ninety nine, or you could just buy it for nine forty nine, or you could do a double feature Blu ray with a House of Wax remake for fifteen ninety nine. That's a good one, but. Whatever you want to do, honestly. If you want to buy it, buy it. If you want to spend four bucks and watch it once, whatever. Yeah, I think this is one to watch once. Now, if you were in our, you know, if you grew up in the early 2000s, there's more nostalgia to this than anything. But watching it again, well, last night for me, it was just kind of like, oh, 
there's some cool parts, but boy, this is not, this is just, yeah. oh, it's not that good. Yeah. <laughs> but like if it's on TV or like sometimes it'll be on AMC Fear Fest. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's about it. Right. Right. So same thing with, with Coast Ship, which other than the beginning scene, it's just kind of like, wow, well, that movie is... gets bad. Yeah. From that, what I remember. That one gets really bad. This one is not as bad, but that one is just like, yeah. ooh, they just shit the bed there. <laughs> but now we get to our new you know our new analysis where we're going to look at both movies so the original and the remake let's look at the storyline first so both of them have to do with families down on their luck yeah the the difference right both both have the uncle die and they leave them a house now the only difference there with the families is that the original family no one's dead in the new one the the wife died in a horrible fire and they have a nanny instead yeah. And that's kind it's of pretty it's pretty much the same. Cut and dry, yeah. Yeah. Cut and dry. They both have the use of the glasses to see the ghosts. Mm-hmm. Yep. They both have this eccentric uncle that captures ghosts and yep. holds them in the home. <clears throat> except for Plato's Zorba didn't seem to be doing it for nefarious reasons. He was just trying to figure out who killed him and who yeah. the guy was trying to take his money or something. Yeah, like this one, he was trying to get his nephew killed and have him become yeah. a And the new ghost. one, this uncle's a piece of shit. Yeah. And it's, you know, he's no Plato, that's for sure. Yeah, and Plato is just like, whatever. The lawyer dies in both of them. Oh, yeah. Um. Wh- well, the way he dies in, in the remake is a lot cool. Because the original, oh, yeah. he's, he, he gets killed by a very slowly moving, like, bed frame yeah and he becomes the <laughs> becomes the 13th. 13th ghost where in this one the well yeah that's the thing with the old one the uncle actually died this one he's faking his death mm-hmm. but then he dies so right he dies so he dies either way so um but yeah and also they both gets um unlike the uh original that's over the span of a few days living in the house and in this, this one, it's all, all one, one evening, one yeah, night, where they're done. all trying to get the hell out of the house. Um, and, you know, the the fact that there's not much of that, like, mystery of who did this and, like, the original one, or who done it, who, who's, what who's are they looking the for? In this one, it's like, oh, we just need to get the fuck out of the house because there's ghosts in here. Yeah, pretty um, much. I mean, there's a bit of, like, yeah, there's the background to, you know, the Basilius machine and all this Black Zodiac stuff, but... There's no, like, what is the reason why he's holding the ghosts here is for this. And the original is like, why is he holding the ghosts here? Eh. Eh. He just, he just did. He just <laughs> did. Yeah, pretty much. Because his name's Plato fucking Zorba. That's why. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what about, um, let's see. The well, atmosphere. That's totally yes, different. Yes, atmosphere. So the, <laughs> the original is just corny. <laughs> this one's actually, well, it's still got the cheesy lines here and there, but it's like, Supposed to be a horror movie. Yeah, it's it's definitely more frantic. Like you, most of the movie is in these in these hallways of, like a of maze, mirrors yeah. and writing on mirrors and ghosts coming down hallways and so it's it's a little more claustrophobic, I guess the way to think about it. It's unlike the other one where it's it's just all throughout the house. All the ghosts are in one location and trying to you know, figure out why this is happening to them. They're trying to kill these people that are in their domain. While in the other one, the ghosts aren't really trying to kill anybody. They're just there and saying like, look how spooky we are. Ooh, I, here's a lion. Oh, yeah. Like, 
it's there's no there's no um, harm towards the family except for when the Italian chef throws a meat cleaver. But other than that, in the original, that the dad gets burned. But that dad gets burned it. by the book. But there's no like oh, we're gonna get these motherfuckers. Yeah, where bad. this one the ghosts like we're gonna kill anybody gonna, and everybody. Yeah, we're gonna break in half and have sliding doors go through you. Um, so yeah, that's why there's it's not as much of like a cheesy comedic element. I mean, there's still a little bit of comedy in the in the remake, with thanks to Matthew Lillard being his send off, you know, himself. But uh, and of course Maggie too. Yeah. The housekeeper's quite funny at times. But really it's you could tell there's more fright on their faces when they see those ghosts. They're like, Oh holy shit, we gotta get out of here. While the other one they're like, Oh, there's ghosts and the kids like, I hope nobody's I hope somebody dies. There's not much of that in here. Like the you you know, the people look actually afraid and they they want to get out of the house. Um, also the visual elements, like unlike the original where the ghosts, you can barely see them in this, you can see them, but there's times where they disappear and come back. I find that effect very cool. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what makes the movie too. Like you'll see the jackal running and then it disappears and it comes back again. It disappears. I, I think that's what makes it a little bit scarier at times because the ghosts are like there, but sometimes you can't see them fully. And you yeah, have especially to have the glasses not, on, yeah, of course. Especially just like not seeing without the glasses. And they're just coming for you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're not holding back. But, yeah. Final final verdict. What do you think? Yeah, the, I think... The new um, one or the old one? Which would you prefer? Well, I think I would... I would prefer the newer one because I have more experience with it. But, I mean, both of them have a campiness to them. Both of them look at the supernatural in different ways and both of them, you know, they have unique qualities that make them almost different movies. Like if you told me a long time ago, this was a remake of an old film, be like, nah, it's not. And even then the only thing that compares these two is that there's a family, an uncle dies, there's 13 ghosts in a house. That's really it. Pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. There's nothing really else to it. Um, I just prefer the the remake because of you know the some of the cool effects and we you know know some of these actors and actresses unlike when the original yeah. like I other than Margaret um, Hamilton the you know Elaine the witch you don't see any many of these actors in other movies and it certainly doesn't you know scream classic to me I mean neither of these movies do but that no. one like go for for uh, thirteen ghosts two thousand one like that's one that like. I remember growing up watching, so yeah. I have more of a nostalgic quality to it. How about you? <clears throat> Honestly, the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and if I want to watch a William Castle movie, I'm going to watch House on Haunted Hill. Right, I, that or I the... thoroughly enjoy that with maybe because it's. Vincent I think that's Price, his best one. Yeah, that and the Tingler is even good. I got to give that. Another I still watch have to watch too. that one actually. But yeah, so, yeah. Well, that will be it for this week. And please, why don't you reach out to us? Which one whether did you it's, like? Or yeah, which one prefer? did you like? Which ones you prefer? What's your experience with 13 Ghosts 1960 or for 2001? You can email us at hfmmpodcast at gmail.com and give us your your verdict, what you find great, what score do you like better, what music do you like better from this one, acting performances, or are both of them shit, or are both of them incredible, and how dare us shit on these movies? Like, Give us your feedback for sure, whether it's through our email or through what else? What are the things? 
We have, you can follow <laughs> us on Facebook, you can follow us on Instagram, and you can follow us on Letterboxd and, and TikTok now. Oh. TikTok, and it's actually... I'm it's a, straight I'm, fire, fam. We yeah, got I'm not, TikTok. No, I'm not going to lie. TikTok's algorithm is a lot better than Facebook, that's for sure. Thank you for, jo- for joining <laughs> us, and if you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help us beat those algorithms and get in front of more people. Yeah. And like I said, you can follow us on the social medias at HFMM Podcast, or you could give us an email at HFMMPodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget Letterboxd. Yeah, um, that too. We got yours. Oh, yeah, my, my Letterboxd. Sure, you can follow me at Spooky402. And HedgeKnight227. I've had quite a few new followers, like 10. I was like, oh, so popular now it's great <laughs> and of course please stay tuned because we have some christmas cheer coming christmas up. cheer the next episode after this we're going to be talking about silent night deadly night parts one and two and that's oh. going to be my first t- wait you haven't seen any of them no okay i've seen two mm-hmm. and i've seen three mm-hmm. but it'll be my first time watching one and we'll finally have a female guest, so no more of a sausage fest. We finally yeah. get a, a female perspective. Like we got women in the show now. Inclusivity's great and much needed. Yeah, definitely. I mean, with that, I'm Dustin and I'm Kevin, and this has been Horror Flicks and Music Mix.